Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is actually the first day of August. So we had July, which was named after Julius Caesar when he changed the calendar. And then August, which was named after Augustus Caesar, his adopted son, who was actually, I believe, his grandnephew. I know you wanted to know that. At any rate, we are now in August, and uh, we're not finished with membrane biochemistry. So, and I know I was cut off last time, and that's because I was getting deeply into that lecture, and I did not follow the time. So I apologize for that, but I was at a point where I was about ready to end. And what you're going to hear right now is how I was going to end it quickly and then move on. So I was telling you about the fluid mosaic model of membranes as first uh, offered by Singer and Nicholson. I didn't tell you about the earlier model. It was called the Davison-Danielli model. It was back in the 1930s. And that particular model just talked about proteins forming distinct layers, and they were sandwiched somehow between lipids. So it was much more simplified than the fluid mosaic. There wasn't a good understanding of how proteins and lipids interacted, again, because we did not have the instrumentation to be able to isolate individual uh, lipids, proteins, and carbohydrates from biological membranes, at least not to the efficient state we got to after World War II when we started using radioisotopes, particularly tritium and C14, and to a lesser degree, also P32. So I'm not going to talk more about um, the ancient, that is, uh, previous uh, understanding of membranes. I want to jump into what we know more about them now. For one thing, the simplest thing to remember, if you don't know anything about membranes, is yes, they provide a semi-permeable lipid matrix surface area that separates inside a cell from outside a cell. And that membranes also uh, conduct a continuous endomembranous system, which allows for direct communication in a lipid environment all the way from external to the cell, that is the external leaflet of the plasma membrane, to the nuclear envelope. So that kind of communication is essential for those compounds or ligands that bind to compounds like lipids that translocate to the nucleus. So it's a fast track depending on lipid solubility. I bet you haven't heard that before or heard that recently um, because it isn't the kind of thing that is discussed in general biochemistry or even graduate biochemistry. I don't know much about undergraduate biochemistry. I never really taught it. So Um, graduate biochemistry is variable depending on where you might receive it. And, um, I've, I've also taught, uh, vet science, pharmacy and medical school biochemistry. So those tend to be after the undergraduate, but we don't normally think of the endomembranous system as a trafficking associated responsive dynamic to generate signaling from the external environment to the internal environment. But indeed, the membranes do cover that ground. 
I also want to remind you the other major take-home message. These are just generalizations or concepts, as I like to call them. Uh, the other generalizations, you know that we have raft domains, membrane lipid raft domains, which are filled with sterols and sphingolipids and also some glycerolipids. And these membrane lipid rafts are able to transport and therefore translocate polypeptides uh, as, for example, G-protein coupled receptors or voltage-gated channels, which, of course, um, are going to be involved in the elaboration of communication between the external and internal environment that happen to be located in the plasma membrane or within the endomembranous system or the endosomal system. So there's a great deal of activity about tra uh, that I could talk about in terms of trafficking of organic solutes, both uh, lipophilic and hydrophilic, as well as cells such as macrophages, monocytes, and even T lymphocytes across membranes. And of course, pathogenic microorganisms and viruses, all of which utilize the membrane trafficking system. But we're not going to do that today. We're going to continue to move on. Okay. So, again, besides the lamellar phase, the that is the um, endomembranous systems that you think about in terms of uh, the mitochondrial inner and outer membrane or the peroxisomal membrane or maybe even the nuclear envelope or membranes associated with the endoplasmic reticulum and the Golgi, Besides that particular lamellar phase, which is a, um, again, a leaflet associated bilayer, we also have other kinds of lipid structures. And these structures are organized around a descriptive uh, morphology. So we say that the shape structure concept um, of lipid polymorphism needs to be addressed. And of course, lipids with a small polar head group are going to have a molecular shape that resembles a truncated cone. And because of those lipids uh, assembling within a membrane, they will induce a negative curvature strain that's a biophysical, um, primarily, if you remember from the last lecture, enthalpic response. It would be entropic if it was pure lipid, but because there is water and there, because there is also sterile lipids, it becomes an enthalpic response, which means that temperature and heat exchange will play a role in the dynamics of that membrane fluidity, as well as its organization and disorganization. So again, when you have this negative curvature strain, it favors organiza uh, the organization of the membrane into what is known as an inverted micellar or hex two phase. You can also consider it in some circumstances as a cubic or bicontinuous structure. So let me explain a little bit about what lipids are found in the H2 cubic phase sort of morphology. Again, this is now talking about 
essentially the secondary structure of a membrane, going back into proteomic type of uh, descriptors and definitions, where the primary sequence of the lipid, of course, is its lipid components. We don't have a good sequence on that macromolecular structure. So we then jump into compositional analysis like we used to do with polypeptides and nucleic acids, again, 50, 75 years ago, before we had techniques to separate out because of the covalent bonding structure uh, in proteins and in nucleic acids. We're able to separate out the sequence of events that then became known as DNA, RNA, and protein. We can't do that in lipids because the lipids are not all covalently bonded. So we can't use um, solution chemistry to break bonds or even enzymes to break bonds and then isolate fragments of that uh, digestion process and say, okay, here is the the bonding between this particular phospholipid and that particular phospholipid. Now that we've broken that bond, we can configure around which of the atoms within those lipids may may be conducting that bonding Uh, asymmetry. No, because lipids are not organized that way in the membrane. They're organized according to hydrophobic interactions, which has to do with things like London dispersion forces and um, electron density, but also atomic association, right? So at the level of the uh, nucleus of the atoms associated with uh, the molecule, the lipid molecule, those are the kind of interactions you're going to be having there. So these are going to involve entropic and enthalpic associations. As it turns out in biological membranes, even though entropy would play a major role in association dissociation at the hydrophobic interaction level, that's quite true. Um, Because these lipids are in an aqueous associated environment, Enthalpy plays a major role. Okay. So, anyways, the kind of lipid you find in H2 or X2 or cubic phase morphologies include monogalactosyl diacylglycerol, monoglucosyl diacylglycerol, phosphatidylethanolamine, phosphatidylserine, phosphatidic acid and cardiolipin, which is diphosphatidylglycerol. Now, the lamellar phase, the normal bilayer one thinks about, um, that's going to be organized around other lipids, such as digalactosyl diacylglycerol, diglucosyl diacylglycerol, sulfoquinovocyl diacylglycerol, phosphatidylcholine, phosphatidylglycerol, phosphatidyl inositol okay so finally you can also find in the membrane and there's more than this when i say finally finally for this short description of membrane lipid organization you can have lysolipids lysolipids is where one of the fatty acids is missing right this is going to give you an h1 phase so lipids with a bulky polar head group and only one acyl chain have a molecular shape similar to the, an inverted cone. 
And what those lipids will provide for the membrane is positive curvature. And that strain will then be organized around the morphology of the membrane. Now they favor, those kinds of lipids favor the tubular or H1 or spherical micellar structure. And lipids that have similar cross-sectional areas for the polar head and hydrophobic region tend to look like cylinders in cross-section. They can also then form lamellar phases. And in the lamellar phase, the normal bilayer you think about, there's no, um, ostensibly, there's no curvature strain. I say ostensibly because we don't have that kind of detail because we don't have the instrumentation yet to look at that in biological systems. Ostensibly, just looking at memories that have been synthesized synthetically, right? That is not via biosynthetic route and made into a membrane in a cell, but uh, using enzymes and precursors to build member and of course the normal um, organization of how lip lipid membranes assemble autonomously in an aqueous environment, forming all those structures I just gave you. Now, cholesterol is the third major class of lipid found in biological membranes. We know that it's a cyclopentanophenanthrene ring structure. There are four fused rings, the A, B, C, D. And I will give you a lot more detail about the solution chemistry of cholesterol when I do a video lecture, because I really need to use those video aids to explain the stereochemistry around that ring. Um, but right now I'm just introducing it, right? I'm just telling you that when you get cholesterol, you dramatically change the dynamics of membrane formation, membrane uh, conductivity, and membrane dissolution. That's the important take home message right at this point. Okay. So that's what I want to say here. Um, so you go from a gel liquid crystalline transition in a lipid bilayer to a um, dis totally disorganized membrane lipid. If you continue to increase the temperature, right? So, the degree of unsaturation of the fatty acid side chains plays a role in this transition process. The presence of lipids, either sphingolipids or glycerolipids, with unsaturated fatty acid chains will reduce the transition temperature. And that will make the membrane more fluid at a given temperature. You also get the bending produced by cis double bonds, and that will prevent it to some level close cubic packing of the side chains at those lower temperatures. So that's why you're going to get a more of a gel phase at the lower temperatures because you have head groups relatively tightly packed and you're going to get a regular membrane morphology. But when you increase the temperature, you move to the liquid crystalline state. And here's where the head groups are more loosely packed. The fatty acyl chains are disordered and you get a thinner membrane. So you get a wider membrane in the gel phase because there's more ordering of those acyl chains. And you get a thinner membrane when you have a great deal of um, 
just uh, in the liquid crystalline when you develop a liquid crystalline state. Okay? And this has to do with the level of unsaturation of the fatty acids. Okay. Now, in the presence of cholesterol, and these and cholesterol is up to 50 mole percent in a human plasma membrane in all the cells that, that we, we talk about in, uh, in authentic biochemistry. You get, even when you get moderate concentrations of cholesterol, you will broaden the transition temperature, making the membrane appear, this is in terms of thermodynamics, more fluid at lower temperatures, yet less fluid at higher temperatures. Okay. That's a moderation effect. So bulky, rigid, sterile ring structures that you find in cholesterol prevent the tight packing of the acyl chains at the lower temperatures. However, that same rigid ring structure also will reduce mobility of those sphingo or glycerol phospholipid side chains at higher temperatures. So it's a moderate, moderating effect on the transition state between gel and liquid crystalline, but it essentially allows for more control over that membrane fluidity because the, most of the time you find cholesterol on the membrane. This is uniform, of course. You find it more in animal membranes, right, which are homeothermic which means there's a, there's a generation of heat, uh, shivering and non-shivering thermogenesis in animals, most higher animals, of course. And because of that, the necessity to have a higher level of polyunsaturated fatty acids in all membranes exposed to external surface temperatures is diminished because cholesterol takes the place of that role. So cholesterol has this tremendous modifying effect, which is a moderating effect on the gel to liquid crystalline phase separation of that membrane, which alters all the components within that membrane, including uh, voltage-gated channels, G-protein-coupled receptors, um, enzymes involved in phospholipase, mediated removal of fatty acids within the membrane in situ, which will induce their own signaling cascades, as well as generating new lipids within the membrane, such as diacylglycerol or phosphatidylinositol phosphates of various molecular species, which will further alter enzyme activity within the membrane, inducing specific pleiotropic signal transduction responses. Okay, so cholesterol, I can't emphasize more than, than that right now, but cholesterol has an absolutely essential um, role in the membrane for biological activity that goes beyond the level of just controlling the level of unsaturation. You understand thermic organisms like higher plants, Higher plant membranes tend to have higher levels of polyunsaturated fatty acids. In fact, two of our essential fatty acids come primarily from there. You know, again, I mentioned it again and again, linoleic and alpha-linolenic acid, 18-colon-2 and 18-colon-3, 
uh, omega-6 versus omega-3, uh, respectively. And the reason you have more of those polyunsaturated fatty acids in plant cells is because there is no heat generation in plants like there is in animal systems. And so cholesterol then is taken over that niche that regulates membrane fluidity. That's another great story about molecular revolution, which we can get into some other time. I learned a lot about the molecular revolution of cholesterol and membranes from Conrad Block, who was actually the researcher who won the, one of the people that won the Nobel Prize for chemistry, for working out the details of cholesterol biosynthesis. And again, I was lucky enough to interact with him in his later years because I was working on an enzyme called the block dehydrase, which I mentioned a while back, uh, published a couple of papers on that. And uh, he had also worked on that, hence the name of the dehydrase, where double bonds are introduced into fatty acids and prokaryotic organisms like E. coli, uh, was named after him because his lab was working on that as well. That was after he worked on the cholesterol genesis. But he gave a he gave a couple of very interesting lectures at um, the university I was hosting him at. I was the head of the seminar series for several years, and I brought Conrad uh, Block on our campus, and he talked about cholesterol uh, evolution as a molecular species moving through the evolutionary uh, transcendency through higher animals. I, it was really interesting. Um, story there. So again, above transition and below transition temperatures, above a transition temperature, you're going to have more disordered acyl chains. You're going to have a thinner membrane um, but, uh, that's above the transition temperature because the acyl chains are going to be disordered. But below the transition temperature, those chains are going to become more ordered and you're going to have a wider membrane. Okay. So that plays a role on um, the biophysics and, of course, all the biochemical activity within a lipid bilayer. Okay, so that gel to liquid crystalline uh, alteration. All right, and again, when you add cholesterol to the membrane, um, you're going to increase the width of the membrane until you reach much higher cholesterol levels, and sometimes then you're going to get a homocholesterol domain within the membrane, okay? That's what happens. High levels of cholesterol will themselves precipitate out of the plasma membrane, and then the membrane will become thinner again. So that also has to do with polypeptide sorting. There's a lot to talk about there, but I'm not going to be able to do it until I start um, showing you, you know, figures on slides. And so I'm just going to leave you again with that understanding. Okay. So again, conical lipids like lysophosphatidylcholine and phosphatidylinositols, uh, amphipathic helical proteins associated with the surface of membranes um, are, are also a component of conical lipid association. The inverted conical lipids like phosphatidylethanolamine phosphatidic acid, diacylglycerol, and cardiolipin are going to allow for proteins to exist 
again, in what's not, in different types of domains within that membrane. And so rather than having an amphipathic helix, like with the conical lipids, with the inverted conical, you're going to have something called a C2 protein or domain, which is going to take on within the lamellar matrix of the membrane, sort of a dumbbell-shaped um, secondary structure for the polypeptide. The cylindrical lipids tend to be uh, 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 phospholipids like phosphatidylcholine and phosphatidylserine. And then when you add um, the KVOLI to the mix, you can have a clustering of positive and negative curvature. And this will have a tremendous effect on loop insertion and protein um, movement out of the membrane and its association with the outer surface of the membrane, okay? Or the inner leaflet of the inner surface of the membrane, if it's the plasma membrane. And many proteins then are pushed to those different molecular regions those different geometric localizations because of alterations in the membrane lipid component, some of which center around KVOLAR biogenesis and removal. And this has to do with the dynamics of lipid membrane raft transport in and out of the plasma membrane as partially dictated by the biosynthetic processes, which are linked to the synthesis and degradation of the individual membrane lipid components that we've just been going through. Okay. Now, loss or overexpression of some of the KVOLAR components will have itself a general effect on membrane lipid properties, including the, lip, the degree of lipid order or disorder, and of course, the diffusion of lipids and lipid anchored proteins based on their relative hydrophobicity, hydrophilicity. Those changes are going to have profound physiological effects. So the expression of either caveolins or cabins will, for example, inhibit clathrin-independent endocytosis, that click pathway I talked about. And caveolins, the CAV proteins, inhibit invasion through that process by specific bacteria. So this brings into this whole process pathogens and the immune response, right? As I've mentioned at the beginning of this lecture. Now, GM3, that specific um, gangliocide lipid, I told you was enriched in KVOI. And increasing the levels of GM3 increases the levels of CAV1. So there's an interaction between protein residency and lipid residency in the dynamic KVLA. Now, while cholesterol is required, and you have, I hope you understand it is, for KVLA formation and indeed integrity and fidelity, the depletion of cholesterol causes the loss of that KVOLR morphology, and then will result in the turnover of cabin proteins. And KVOLR are in turn important for the maintenance, because of this, of the cholesterol balance within the cell. 
because more cholesterol has to mobilize to regenerate the KVOLI to maintain the level of cholesterol in the membrane where it's necessary for other dynamics I've just been talking about, but also to rehearse and maintain the production of new KVOLI once they become degraded because of cholesterol utilization. Indeed, CAV1 deficiency has been shown to cause cholesterol to accumulate in mitochondria. And of course, if that happens, you're going to disrupt mitochondrial function. We know all about the intermembrane of mitochondria, don't we? So KVOLIN mutants that accumulate in lipid droplets disrupt cholesterol trafficking and the loss of CAV1 causes decreased cholesterol synthesis and increased fatty acylosterification of cholesterol. Now, when you esterify cholesterol, that prepares it for bulk transport out of the cell. I've mentioned that before. That's how lipoproteins traffic cholesterol. Okay? So you get the idea why I've been really <laughs> spending so much time on KVOLA, right? And there I brought that back into the suite of general descriptions of the membrane morphology. So I'm going to stop here. And this time I'm going to stop without running out of time, like I did the last two episodes. Again, I apologize for that. And we're not finished yet, as you can tell, but this is Dr. Dan Guerra uh, in Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the USA on the very first day of August. 2022 saying bye for now.